Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Colossians 1.24 through Colossians 2.5. So if you're just visiting with us this morning, this is not typical way we do it, but we do enjoy having these forums on occasion where I can bring some really bright guys up on stage to share when I'm not. And so this is what we're going to do today. This text in particular is a bit strange if you've read with us. Let me catch you up where we've been so you know where we're going. In the first 14 verses of this letter to a church just like ours, uh, just the American model that says you start with Jesus and then you have to find your own special pathway or your own spe- special niche to figure it all out. Uh, We want to counteract that. That's what Paul wrote this letter to say, no, no, understand that Jesus is everything you need to become everything God desires for your life. And so in light of that, Paul writes the first 14 verses of chapter one. And what he says in it is he praises God for what we all have by being redeemed by the blood of Christ. And then he challenges us that in Jesus, not in other sources, in Jesus, there's more than we've experienced. There's knowledge and insight and there's strength, even in suffering. And then in verses 15 through 20, which we covered last week in week two, Paul writes this anthemic passage that talks about Jesus being God, powerful, holy, above it all, able to overcome it all, and then died on the cross so that we could be redeemed of our sins. And in that moment, then Paul gets into today's text beginning in verse 24, and it seems a little bit odd because he then starts talking about his ministry, his suffering, something called a mystery, that he suffers for the sake of the mystery, and then he encourages them. He said, I do all of this so you'll be unified and drawn together around Jesus. This text in particular was such that when I talked with Michael about it originally, our our concept was, I think it'd be better to have a conversation on stage rather than treating it sermonically as we're apt to do. So let me introduce for those of you who don't know these two gentlemen on stage with me, To my far left is Michael DeFazio. He's a professor at Ozark Christian College. He preaches here regularly, been a member of our church for several years now, and Michael teaches New Testament at Ozark. 
uh, in the middle of us is Mike Ackerman. Mike and his family, his wife Erin, they attend here uh, and have attended here for years. And Mike is a professor at Ozark Christian College too. Uh, he's in charge of the church planting uh, major at Ozark. He's also a New Testament professor. But let me give you a little more background about Mike that you may not know. You hear us talk about the Mustard Seed Network and how we're involved financially in sacrificing so that churches could be planted throughout Japan. Uh, and that we have sent several couples. In fact, we're preparing now our fifth couple to go over there, our fourth and fifth couples to go over there and be a part of church planning in Japan. And that's so exciting. Well, Mike and his wife, Erin, and uh, another couple that attended this church at this time also were the ones that started Mustard Seed in Japan. He's still very active in going over and coaching and counseling and working with the churches there. So he brings a good perspective uh, to this stage as well. And so I'm very grateful for these two friends of mine and, and their willingness to come. So we're going to have a conversation this morning, all based on what this particular text and some, some things that are a little bit hard to understand, what that might mean for us, so that you and I not only know what Paul was doing, but we can also, when we're done, understand what we're supposed to do in moments like this. So the first question is, um, it begins right there in the, the first part of the verse. Uh, Michael, I'll throw it to you. It says, he says that something is lacking in regarding to Christ's affliction. So how do we get from Jesus is enough, he's God, he's all powerful, to now, is he not enough? Is, is Paul saying something here that's confusing or is there an understanding of that that might help us? Yeah, I think you, I mean, you frame up the question perfectly because that's how we would read it maybe if we were just reading quickly and, and just... A quick understanding of the, of the words, I fill up what is lacking in my flesh in regard to Christ's afflictions, um, makes it seem like exactly what you said. Option number one is that there's something insufficient about what Jesus accomplished, and that Paul and maybe even others need to come along and like make sure that salvation is really a possibility. And um, that would, as you pointed out, be totally contrary to everything that Paul says in this letter and elsewhere in his ministry. So how do we understand this statement? Is this just a moment where Paul's contradicting himself? It's really not. And it is one of those statements where, you know, when the Bible says something weird, sometimes you have to dig really super deep and to find some background or some other text that help you clarify it. It's kind of a complex answer. Here, I think the answer is fairly simple. It's just a strange way to say it. I think what Paul's getting at is that Jesus um, made salvation possible for us by dying to reconcile us to God. Like nothing else needs to happen in order for God to welcome us into his family. He is completely ready and he's accomplished the satisfaction of his justice and the demonstration of his love. It is done. It is, it is fin we talk about the finished work of Christ. But it won't actually reach people if, P we don't, if Paul doesn't go around and tell people about it. So that's really the issue that he's getting at is Jesus came and accomplished salvation. And there's nothing I can do to add to that. God is not looking down going, I need a little bit more of something for me to be willing to save. Not a chance. It's just that you got to get the word out. You think about like, I mean, there'd be a thousand analogies. You think about, you know, these microphones. Somebody made these microphones and created these microphones. And even though there's electricity pumping through these microphones, but if we hold them down here and talk, it doesn't actually work. Like in order to experience the benefits of it, something has to be done. It's kind of like that. And the one other element, too, that may be relevant to what Paul's saying here is Jesus's ministry was really focused almost entirely on the Jewish people, on the people of Israel. He came to restore God's people and to establish God's kingdom and to die for the sins of the world. And he did like minister to some Gentiles, some non-Jews like most of us in the room. He did minister to some Gentiles and, and in some subtle but clear ways communicated that this blessing is going to extend beyond the Jewish family. But really it was Paul and the other apostles that took this accomplishment of Christ and spread 
it out to the whole world. So that's really what he's getting at with the language that he uses there. Yeah, and I think when we, we trace Paul's ministry through the New Testament, I mean, everywhere he goes, he gets beat up, he gets thrown in jail. It says that he got shipwrecked twice. To me, one is enough. I'm going to stay on land. But like, it is, it is costing him something. But I think there's no one that's ever lived that's probably been more grateful for what Jesus has done for him than Paul. He was trying to destroy the church. He was going out looking for people to arrest. And, and then God, he was met by Jesus and it changed his life. And I think really he's here almost using a poetic way of saying, when I think about what Jesus has done for me with his body, and we go back to even verse uh, 22, where it says he has reconciled us through his physical body, the crucifixion of Jesus. When I think about what, what has been done on our behalf, it just makes sense to, to get the word out, even if it costs us something. And and it's not a way of repaying what Jesus has done. It's saying it just makes sense to, to, to go far and wide and to, to even face certain difficulty. And I think about some of the difficulty that, that you all face, uh, sharing your faith maybe with family or friends or coworkers and saying, while it, it can be challenging and difficult, it makes sense in light of what's been done. Um, and what's left is getting the word out. And so even the way he says, look, when, when Christ has done this with his body, I'm going to do this with my body for the sake of the body. And he even goes on to say, for the sake of the body, which is the church. And so I think it's kind of a poetic way of saying this challenge makes sense in light of what Christ has done. And historically, what I want us to understand, if you read the book of Acts, when Paul becomes converted to the truth of Jesus, when he gives his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, it cost him more than you could ever imagine. And then when Paul, realizing that God gave him a very specific calling, and that was to bring non-Jewish people into the kingdom, this was such a radical concept that when Paul first preaches that the Jews are included, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's punished. And he would spend the rest of his career, if you will, being punished for that truth. And so I, the connection for all of us is that just because Jesus finished the work doesn't mean there's not work. And it doesn't mean that it won't cost us something, that we still are, are working in the work that Jesus did. And if it costs us suffering and, and trials, that should be our lot, that should be our choice, and that should be our worship. And uh, so he uses another term in here. So outside of the suffering and the affliction, mm -hmm. the concept of the mystery. And that's, that's a trigger in this particular passage where Paul uses this term regularly. What, what is he talking about and how does that fit in particularly what he's saying here? Yeah, this word mystery is something he uses in a variety of his letters to get at this idea that the main event of human history has already happened through the death and, and resurrection of Jesus when God came down and lived among us and, and paid this ultimate price for our salvation. Um, for ages and generations, it, it's been building up to that point, but, but now it's happened and the mystery has now been disclosed. And so it's not that there's some secret knowledge out there that we need to get. And in fact, it's the opposite point. There is not some other next thing we need to be waiting for, but we need to, to know that the most important thing has already happened. Jesus came, he died, he resurrected, and now we're on this side of the mystery. And, and so we know what God was up to that through the centuries that built up to this, this was the main event. And and sometimes it can feel like maybe, okay, I've got Jesus. Um, what's the next thing? Where's the, maybe there's some guru out there or there's some system I need to, to adopt to, 
to add to that, but his use of this word is actually a way of saying, actually within him is all we need, the hidden treasures and, the, and all the wisdom of God. And I think about how um, when a mystery gets spoiled, it doesn't feel so interesting anymore. I think about when I saw the movie Sixth Sense, and I was a little late to seeing it, and I was sitting in the theater, and I realized that it had been ruined for me, and I'm going to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it. Um, but the guy's dead pretty much the whole time. And a friend of mine had mentioned that, and, and then I'm sitting in the theater, and I realized, oh, the mystery's been ruined for me. And all these little moments that are supposed to feel suspenseful or tense, or you're, you're going to go back and watch the movie and realize, oh, those little clues were there. Those were ruined for me. And and so really, it was kind of a boring movie for me. Um, and so I think some of what he's trying to get at is don't lose that the most important thing that has happened ever has happened in the work of Christ and continue to find peace in that. Even as there is work to do, that's the main event. Yeah, and I love, you know, you mentioned the other, one of the other metaphors. He uses the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in Christ and I mean, that's just one of those things that repays thought that there's ever, we're looking for something valuable. Everybody's looking for something valuable, but we're not quite sure if we know how to find it. And what Paul is saying is all of what you're really looking for at the heart can be found in Christ. And I think that's exactly what you're saying, the point about how he's everything. And it's an interesting statement um, in relationship to the, the world of the text, the first century world, because this type of thing would be said in other contexts. There were some rabbis who would say things like all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in the law, in the Torah, in the law of Moses. And that was the thing that you could look to to really find meaning in life and purpose and, and something that makes sense of all the various moments of our lives. And um, so that, there, there's this other option. And sometimes people choose a different option. And sometimes we are tempted to choose a different option. I'm not sure if I want uh, this Jesus thing because there's this other idea or this other career or this other passion that seems like it's more comprehensively fulfilling to me. And then another thing about the context in Colossae is there may have been a few that would be tempted to look to one particular thing, like the law of Moses or some other pagan aspect of the faith. But really it's more, and Mark, this is what you've been talking about, this sampling I want, a, I want a little bit of the law and I want a little bit of Jesus and I want a little bit of the pagan rituals and I want a little bit of these like super intense spiritual practices and I just want to throw it all together. And that's really what I need. They really weren't thinking like we're going to move on from Jesus. It's just that he's, he's like a part of the equation for us. And that's where all the apostles, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want to know the truth that transform you and give you a good life, a wise life, this is the place to look and this is the only place you need to look. Because yeah, even where he'll go in chapter two after this is sometimes things that seem good, mm-hmm. things that look very religious, new moral rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, things that have the appearance of wisdom, but lack any power. And, and so things that even could be well-intentioned or look super spiritual could be a threat to the rest we can have in what God has already done in Christ. Okay, so... When I hear us, and I hear the words coming out of my mouth most Sundays, and I want to stop and pause and, and see if there's a connection. And here, here's what I'm, I'm hearing. When we keep saying, gee, this is enough, gee, this is enough, I doubt there's anybody in this room that doubts he's enough. But we also know human nature, right? It's undefeated. Human nature is always going to come back to, yeah, yeah, Mark, I know. It's death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. I get it. But that at work, at home, at play, at rest... It doesn't connect. So how do we take this concept that Paul says, be very careful that you don't try to add anything to Jesus because it's futile. In fact, it's sacrilegious. 
Then he comes back and says, no, Jesus is enough. How do we live that out? How, how do we experience this so we know it's true rather than just saying it's true? Yeah, I think there can be value in trying to really empathize with those that were on the other side of, of Christ, the ones that were, were waiting and wondering and anticipating, what is God up to and has he forgotten us? Uh, I think about a story from Luke chapter two where Jesus has been born, um, but he hasn't said a word, he hasn't done a miracle, he's just a baby still. And Mary and Joseph take him to the temple and there's this old guy, Simeon, there. And somehow God had given him insight to say, this is the one, this child is the one you've been waiting for. And, and it says that he goes over and he takes the baby in his arms and it's like the original Lion King. He's like, this is the one. And he says this, this amazing prayer, sovereign Lord, just as you promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. I can die a happy man. He says, your eye, my eyes have seen your salvation. And we don't know how long Simeon lived, but we don't know if he got to hear Jesus preach or, or uh, see him do a miracle. But he was saying, this is enough for me. It's finally come. And, and to think, well, now we're on this side of it. We have the record of his miracles and his death and his resurrection. How much more should we have that kind of joy? This is the one we've been looking for. And that can be challenging, but just simmering in that and, and, and experiencing some empathy for those who were longing for it. I think of another passage, 1 Peter 1, where, where Peter's writing to some, some other people, but similar kind of idea that even the prophets of the Old Testament even as much knowledge as they had. They longed to look into the times and circumstances of the Messiah, but, but now we know. And so we have this inexpressible and glorious joy uh, because we have uh, the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So I think just simmering in that and thinking about what would it be like to be before and now that we're on this side, uh, how much more should we just have joy because of that? Yeah, and I really want to, I love, I love both you've said, and I want to launch, there's launch points, I think, in, in terms of what I'm thinking from, from statements both of you made. Mark, you talk about how, you know, you say again, Jesus is everything, death, burial, and resurrection, that's everything, and then our response is, I get it. Okay, I get it, all right? Like, what else? And it reminds me of those moments when you guys have experienced this maybe either as a, as a parent or as a teacher or as a coach when your child or your, or your player, like, they do, they do other than what you taught them to do, and you're getting on to them, and you're like, no, 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 this is how you do it, and they're thinking, I get it, like, I know. Well, do you? Then how come you didn't do it? And I think um, that there's this element of you may, uh, you may understand what I'm about to tell you and so you don't want to hear me, but you're not actually thinking about it in the moment when it's relevant and you're not actually putting it into practice. And that's what I think it really comes back to um, is governing our thoughts and, and managing our actions. And as believers, sometimes we, can, we, can, we understand the importance of what we believe. We, we can't outlive our beliefs. If you don't believe that something is true, then, then, then your life is going to be limited, if indeed you know, that thing is true. But even if you believe something and you'd say, yes, I agree with that, if it's not in your thoughts, if it's not actually making its way into the way in which you think about all the various moments that make up your day, then its impact on you is gonna be weakened. And yet at the same time, and that's where that simmering piece comes in, I think, where we just simmer in it, we think about it, we meditate on that truth. But if you're just only always thinking about it and you're not putting it into practice, then those thoughts are gonna kind of fall flat. And this is, I think, the way human nature works. What we think about drives what we do, and what we do drives what we think about. And you see this reflected in Paul in all sorts of places. So that would be part of my answer to the question is, let's be people who don't just, you know, check the box. Maybe you're, maybe you're regular Bible reading. Maybe you try to read the Bible regularly. It's not a matter of, okay, I read it. I, I, I still agree with it, just like I did yesterday. Okay, um, but like, what are you going to think about? And how is it going to inform those things? And then how are you going to act on it? So that's how I'd say it, Mark. In, in chapter 2, verses 3, it says, 
in whom all hidden are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. One of the things I want to encourage each one of us to do is, is what these two have just put together for us. You cannot stop the world from telling you false things. Okay? You can't. The world's going to promise you things that can't deliver. It's going to say that Jesus isn't enough and he's been proven. Thousands of years later, he hasn't returned, blah, blah, blah. And you hear those things and you begin to wonder, well, then maybe I just add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I think what we're being encouraged to do today is very important. To, to be able to stand up to fine sounding arguments, you're going to have to know what the truth is. And not only knowing who Jesus is, but actually experiencing who he is, trusting him, stepping out into faith and living in that reality uh, is, is a huge step for us so that what Michael just said makes sense in my heart. I know who Jesus is, but am I experiencing him? So when the world offers me something, I'm like, nah, it's not even close to what I got. It's not even close to where I've been. And God's deliverance and God's presence and the Holy Spirit speaking, all of those things that are taking place that are realities, they're not myths, they're realities. When that happens, we can stand up to the things Paul's cautioning the people of Colossae. Remember, they had bitten the apple, and the apple was that Jesus is a good start, but he's not enough. And Paul's like, no, you've not met him then, because you won't want anything else once you've had him and experienced him. So in light of all of that, in verse 29 of chapter 1, mm -hmm. it says, Paul says, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And the truth be told, that's a three-week series in that one verse. So <laughs> Michael, what do you got, or Mike, what do you got for us? Yeah, he... he starts by saying that this is the one we proclaim, admonishing, teaching everyone, and, and so that they could be fully mature. And as I'm doing that, uh, it is Christ's energy that works in me. And I think what he's getting at there is a dynamic that is available for each and every one of us that actually as we're obeying and as we're sharing our faith, we're strengthened by it. I think of even Paul's words to, to Timothy, who helped write this letter, but in a, a letter to him, he says, keep teaching these things and you'll be nourished by them. And it's like, as you're teaching, you're teaching yourself. And, and I think many of us can think of times where actually when we're sharing our faith with someone else, it's like in those moments, God shows up and in our hearts and minds, we're strengthened in, in that faith. And and God guides us in that moment to help us uh, have the words to say and have the confidence in this message. And so I think he's, he's describing for himself right there what he wants for everybody and what he was even praying for them earlier in chapter one, that through the spirit of God, they would have an, a growing knowledge of his will, that they'd be strengthened to be able to endure and, and live a life that pleases God. And so as we obey and as we share, as we actually get this message out, like he's trying to do, um, we, we find that the spirit of God is within us, energizing us, empowering us uh, to help us be faithful. Yeah, amen. And I just, I love this verse. There's times in my life when I think, I don't know what I would do without this verse. And I'm sure if it wasn't in there, the Lord would have some other way of blessing or encouraging. But man, this has been so critical for me because I feel like it's a place where Paul essentially acknowledges something that we experience. If we try to do this, what you're talking about, if we try to serve the Lord and just try to be a God-centered person, eventually you get to a point where you say, I just cannot do this. This is too much for me. And if you've, if you've been there before, then then good job, because like that's what this verse is designed to speak to, and it speaks to it in such a powerful way. I love even some of the words that Paul uses in these, in these phrases. You know, one of the words that he uses to talk about the toil and the work is a word that literally means you experience the pain of being beat repeatedly. 
It's an intense word. And if you've tried to love God in Jesus' name, or love people in Jesus' name, maybe you've experienced that, where you just feel like, man, the world just keeps hitting me. These people just keep, keep trashing the, the love that I'm attempting to show them and, and these various things. And another one is uh, the agonizo, the to agonize. It's an athletic word. So it talks about the type of pain you feel when you're extending yourself beyond what you've ever extended yourself before and you're working toward a goal and you're trying to accomplish something um, that is valuable and beautiful and good. And then there's this promise that his energy comes in you. And this is a really personal one. I think of different personal experiences, none super dramatic, but times where I've looked, I've just literally been to a point where I can't do this. And Jesus is like, yeah, uh-huh, I know. I think about one, I was going to this event, this is probably a couple of months ago now, and the event itself doesn't matter, but I was just going to this place and I was going to, you know, try, try to be a Jesus person, trying to be a blessing to them. And I didn't want to go at all. I was tired. I was cranky. I remember driving down 171. I'm grumpy in my car and I'm thinking to myself, all right, if I don't find some way to change my mood, I'm going to be miserable all night and I'm going to spread this misery to anybody that I interact with. But, I'm try- but then I decide I'm gonna start praying about this. And I'm like, Jesus, man, like, I don't know what to do. I have nothing in the tank. I am on empty. And he just kind of said, all right, well, you surprised by this? Like, at what point did you get it in your head that you were supposed to do this by your own power? And it wasn't actually that I heard those particular words. It was this verse that came to mind. It's his energy that works in us as we work for him. And I remember just resting in that moment. And it wasn't a super dramatic or emotional experience. It was just a matter of, oh yeah, this is true. I'm going to trust that this is true. I'm going to trust that Jesus is here with me and that he's going to enable me to do what I need to do so that I could be a loving presence in this particular situation. And it was. I mean, nothing crazy happened, but nothing super horrible happened either. And I'm pretty sure that's the direction we were going beforehand. So that's what I think about when I think about this passage. So one minute each. What word do you have to all of us about this particular text? What word of encouragement that you can give us from what Paul is teaching in this particular section? Well, I think, like we've said, the main event of human history has happened. Christ has come. He's died. He's raised. And we can, we can rest in that knowledge. And, and like Paul, who knew that he needed the grace of God, um, he could rest in that and work in that. And we've been given the Spirit of God to empower us to obey and to testify to this whole world. And so while it's effortful and why we're gonna face, while we're going to face opposition, we can know that it's actually him working within us to achieve his goals in and through us. And so there's nothing else out there that we need to worry about. We can rest in his grace and know we're empowered by his spirit. Um, and the phrase that strikes me is, as we continue to talk through the text this morning, um, you know, he says that the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I think uh, in terms of a one minute final thought, what do we do? I think I would wanna key in on that a little bit. The idea of hope telling us that we're actually um, walking a journey in anticipation of a wonderful destination and we're not there yet. And so the frustration that you feel and the discouragement that you feel as you attempt to be faithful to Jesus in a world that's not really set up for that is natural and it's expected and you don't need to worry or freak out that something is drastically wrong with the system. No, like this is like if you're on one of those family vacations and you're trying to get somewhere and you stop midway to get some gas and some stuff at the gas station. The kids are like, are we there yet? When are we going to get there yet? And you're like, no, we're not there yet. We're on the way. But also like this is part of vacation too. So try to enjoy the moment, you know. And I think sometimes Jesus is saying, you guys, like you don't, don't expect to be there yet where everything is fully fulfilled and you can see me face to face. You will, but this is part of the journey too. So the frustration is natural and expected and it's part of how I'm working in the world. So let me come into that weakness and fill it with power so that you can continue to walk with me and experience the fullness, that fulfillment of the hope of glory. 
I want you to thank these guys for two things. First of all, help, just in a second, help me thank them for giving their time and their expertise and their insight. And second, wait, wait, second, most of all, that none of us spun on these chairs because we've been fighting it all morning. We just want to twirl. <laughs> Would you help me thank these guys? It's, it's quite an honor to... Uh, have so many people in this community who love Jesus deeply that we can share different thoughts and ideas. We hope that this conversation has been an encouragement because otherwise, read right on its own, it can be misunderstood to be Paul thumping his chest instead of saying, everything I'm accomplishing, God can accomplish through you. And that's our encouragement this morning is that we are a part of this story and the storytelling that Jesus is enough. And if we live it out, the Holy Spirit will empower us. You see, that verse 29 is so important. The Holy Spirit's job is to lift Jesus up to his rightful place. And that is ours too. And when you're discouraged and you wonder, step more deeply into Jesus instead of away from him. Trust him more and the Holy Spirit will fill you with the power that's not yours. And it'll prove to you and others that Jesus is more than enough. Let's have a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the gift. We thank you for the sacrifice. We realize that what this cost you was more than any of us deserved. And so we have an opportunity not only to live in the experience of Jesus, but to celebrate the joy of Jesus. Allow this encouragement this morning to challenge each one of us that to understand who you are, we give everything to you. And when we do that, we find that we've given nothing of importance away and we've received everything. You are our gift and you are enough. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.